Wendell Wallace here presenting another Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports production. A lot of things going on in the world of sports, so without further ado, let's get this party started. Let's get this show on the road. Relax and enjoy. Hey, Possible, what's happening? Time for your mind to rise and shine and listen to a sports talk podcast that is absolutely divine. Wendell's world in sports give you more angles than the Crayagon, scoring more than Calvin Johnson of Megatron, wearing out the competition as if they just finished running a marathon. Born and raised in an area where music is go-go, I get into a passionate, energetic sports talking flow, giving you the greatest of podcast shows. With Tyreek Hill type speed, I give thoughts and opinions about the everyday of sports with the power of Joel Embiid, impactful like a punch from Apollo Creed. My podcast is the best Yes, indeed. I believe Georgetown Hoya Blue, my devotion for the coach and players on O Street and Northwest D.C. stay true. No matter how great or dire the situation, I will remain loyal to Georgetown and Hoya Nation. You will be elated with the Sports Talk podcast I created. Score a more point than Connor McDavid on the ice with a style and flow that is oh so nice. Hitting topics up the park like Aaron Judge. When you listen to my podcast, you will not budge or move a muscle when I tussle and block out the nonsense like I was Bill Russell. The hustle makes me a champion like Simone Biles and miles of accolades for me to take home. Locking it down like a Syracuse 2-3 zone. So no one puts Baby or my podcast in the corner. If they try, I become the greatest show on turf like Kurt Warner. So be ghost like Swayze. Because your podcast does it amaze me. If you ever think it could, <laughs> man, you must be crazy. My program is the best, no questions asked. So if you're thinking about following or subscribing to this podcast, don't wait or debate because it'll seal your fate. And the words, the bottom line of the rattlesnake. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Wendell 316 says, download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, and enjoy the most unique, insightful, entertaining sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to, either on my YouTube channel or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Uh, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have kept you without a strong podcast. The step two, think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Well, time's up, and I'm sorry I kept you, man. I tried to. This is like the fourth time I've been, I'm going to be doing this podcast. I'm recording this on a Monday morning, June 
27th here in Las Vegas, Nevada. This was a podcast that was supposed to go out on June 20th. And then I did the podcast, but it didn't record. So I had to do it again and put it down on June 21st, in which I did, but it didn't record. So I couldn't publish it. Then I tried one more time to put it out later on that Tuesday, this past Tuesday. It didn't go out. So strike one, strike two, strike three. My computer went bye-bye. So I went ahead, got myself a whole new system. So... I'm going to try it one more time. So if you're listening to this, obviously then it worked, it went through. But uh, that's the reason why this podcast or a podcast that didn't come out last week. Went ahead, got my computer. The computer didn't come in until Thursday, set everything up. So I said, you know what, let me go ahead and just start recording today and put it out for uh, this week as I'm doing this again on a Monday morning, June 27th. The start of Wimbledon have that in the background Novak Djokovic out there doing the thing. Andy Murray is going to be participating out at Wimbledon, the tennis tournament, a little bit later on in the day. But, uh, yeah, man, that's the situation. So good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. It's been an interesting week both on and off the court. Before I go ahead and give my thoughts and opinions real quick about Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court, before I go ahead and start getting into some NBA stuff, before I go ahead and get into all that, I want to say special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. Again, if you're watching this podcast on my YouTube channel, if you could just go ahead and subscribe to Wendell's World in Sports and like this video if you can, that would be fantastic. And if you're listening to this podcast, whether it be on Spotify or Amazon or iHeart or iTunes, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, if you could do me a favor, if you could just subscribe or rate or review or download and most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Man, I was so much appreciated. So there you go. Let's go ahead and get into some things. Before I get into sports, I just want to um, just want to very quickly give my thoughts and opinions about the decision that was made by the Supreme Court this past uh, week to overturn Roe v. Wade, Roe versus Wade, basically um, inflicting a blow for the uh, for the women of this country in terms of their rights are concerned. It's always interested and it's always uh, pathetic and uh, but so apropos for this country and the decision that's supposed to be made by and concerning women. The uh, majority of these folks who are going to be making this decision are, are males. So the ignorance and the misogynistic tendencies of males toward women in terms of uh, knowing, I guess, what they feel is best for them is ludicrous, is ignorant. But as I mentioned before, when you're speaking about this country, it's, it's, it's par to the course when you're speaking about uh, some of the attacks that have been made and continue to be made on different minorities in this country. So the only way that we can uh, do this, the only way that we can save our democracy, because uh, for those who feel that this is no big deal, for those who are really not paying attention to this, number one, that's exactly what the powers in be want you to do. They want you to be ignorant. They want you to put your head in the sand. They want you to be uh, so engulfed and engaged with other things going on in your world, no matter how trivial it is, that you really don't pay attention. You really don't educate yourself on the plan that these people have in terms of what they're trying to do to make this a, a society which is mainly being run by white males, um, rich 
white males, shall I also say, um, people of a different ideology in terms of uh, bringing us back to uh, days where people were free but not really free, second-class citizenship, uh, legalized segregation, where basically uh, white folks, again, mainly rich white males, made the decision, told you how to live your life, told you how to do things. It's interesting how one political party in this country is always yelling and screaming about small government and small government, and we don't need government in our lives, but yet and still, the thing that they want to do is they want to control every single part of your life, who you marry, uh, the gender that you marry, the race that you marry. It's coming. It's coming. For those who are sitting there rolling their eyes at me because of this decision, believe me, it is coming. It's amazing, as I mentioned before in this country, that we care so much about our goddamn guns. The fact that, so, that there's a portion of people in this country who care more about the ability to get access to their guns and the ability to hold on to their guns, hold on to their AKs, 47s, and their Uzis and such, than it is to protect the children of this country. It's amazing to me. You guys have all of these ridiculous, foolish, inane, idiotic, insane theories and conspiracies about, well, if we go ahead and make it harder for a 18-year-old to purchase an Uzi or to put, purchase a high-powered rifle to go into a church or to go into a movie theater or go into a school or go into a mosque or go into uh, uh, any place to worship and go ahead and to uh, commit mass murder, you folks don't care as much about that than you do of, well, wait a minute. If this somehow, some way is going to uh, lead to me making it harder for me to get an AK-47, or it's going to mean that it's going to take me a little bit longer, it's going to mean a little bit more work for me to get myself a high-powered rifle to go duck hunting, well, then, hell, we can't go ahead and do that. It's just a matter of, hey, they just got to fend for themselves. It's amazing how folks of that mindset, it's amazing how folks who sit who sit there and think, and believe the NRA's bullshit for years in terms of, well, if you go ahead and let them pass um, background checks and it makes it harder for them to go get a, 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 an automatic weapon or to go ahead and get a, a weapon, don't you see what the plan is? Don't you see where this is going? This is just the first step to the government taking your guns. Somehow, some way, the quote-unquote government is going to come to your house and demand that you take your gun because this is the first step for these guys wanting to eradicate the, the Second Amendment, the ability to uh, own guns. It's amazing how people will believe that bullshit, but then they won't sit there and see what happened on Friday as part of a bigger plan. They're too ignorant, they're too selfish, they're too out of touch to realize what the plan is in this country in terms of the first step being taking away Roe versus Wade. And again, if you listen to Uncle Clarence, if you listen to the Sambo, if you listen to this House Negro, if you listen to Uncle Clarence Thomas and his bullshit talking about, well, we got that taken off the uh, books in terms of Roe versus Wade. Now let's see what we can do about contraceptives. Now let's see what we can do about same-sex marriages. Now let's see what we can do about other things that have been on the law books for decades and decades and sometimes centuries. Let's see what we can do to eradicate that. This is part of a larger plan. This is the effect of what happened when Barack Obama became president back in 2008. This was a situation where it was, my goodness gracious, folks of a white supremacy type of ideology said, oh my goodness, 
Something happened that no way, no how we thought could happen. A black man named Barack Hussein Obama became president of the United States. A black man became president of the United States. Do you, do you realize, do you know what that means? With Barack Obama in the country turning toward a black man being the president of the United States, you know what that means? That means that the grip that white power has had on this country, in this country for centuries is slowly and surely slipping away. Racism is still there, ignorance is still there, bigotry is still there, prejudice is still there, but it's not like it once was. Now, all of a sudden, our ability to control the minorities, all of a sudden now, our ability to control the Asians and the blacks and the Hispanics and the Jews and the gays and the lesbians and such, all of a sudden now, the Muslims, all of a sudden now, that's starting to slip away because of this country is now starting to become, as it becomes more and more diverse, what's going to be next? Are we going to have now a string of black presidents followed by a, a bunch of uh, women presidents and then a bunch of gay presidents? All of a sudden, the white males of this country, the rich, powerful white males of this country, and the poor, and the ignorant, and the prejudiced, and the um, uh, racist folks of this country started to feel unedged. Their worst fears came to light. Their worst fears came to reality. A black man by the name of Barack Hussein Obama was voted as president of this country, not once, but twice. So they had to put the stop to that. Because as I mentioned before, this opens up the pathway now for qualified gay folks to be president of the United States, qualified Jewish folks to be president of the United States, qualified females of this country to be president of the United States. All of a sudden now, white folks ignorant, racist white folks are going to feel like, I don't know, maybe black folks back in the day or how the way they feel now. Maybe they're going to be scared of all of a sudden becoming second-class citizens. So we have to put a stop to that nonsense. So what these folks did, they did the campaign to go ahead and elect in 2016 the one person whose name I will not ever pronounce as president of the United States, fuck things up, make things worse. In fact, but even though people still voted for him, because of fear, because of anger, anger because of ignorance, so this is just a continuation. All you stupid motherfuckers who wanted to put in Bernie Sanders as president of the United States back in 2016 because Hillary didn't have herself a good enough personality because she was snobbish. You stupid motherfuckers, thank you so much. This is the result of what, of, of what that is. It didn't happen overnight. Ro the, the eradication of Roe v. Wade didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in, you know, in, in, in a couple of months. This has been what? Going on six, seven, eight years are coming for this to happen. So believe me, the wheels are in motion. Things are in place in terms of bringing this country back to uh, bringing this country back to what it was in the '60s and '50s and '40s, when you only had certain a group of people who were truly free and were truly able to live the American dream or truly experience what America is really all about at its best, at its most fruitful, at its most opportunistic in terms of those who want to go ahead and make the best of themselves, the land of opportunity, milk and honey and such. Those type of ideals, a group of people are slowly trying to turn back to only a certain group of people. And, those, and it's not going to be afforded to gays. It's not going to be afforded to women. It's not going to be afforded to Muslims. It's not going to be afforded to blacks. It's not going to be afforded to Asians. It's not going to be afforded to Hispanics. You just watch. 
You just watch. So, as I always before mentioned to the younger generation, man, you've got to do something. I'm going to do my part, man. I'm going to try, try, and try everything I can to educate, educate the younger folks about things and places and historical events and such that might not include them. Because the younger generation today is all about themselves. Just like back when we were living at their age, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 21 and such. Man, our society, man, our way of life consisted of, of what was around us in terms of, uh, you know, our own selfish, immature things. So it's going to be my personal, it's going to be my personal um, endeavor to open up the minds of as many young folks as I can because, man, when we get a little bit older, when it's time for me not to be able to do these things, when I'm suffering from ailments and ills physically, mentally and such, and our generation gets too old to be able to run this country, man, and I need these people to take care of me. I need to be, make sure that, you know, the elderly folks in this country are getting their Medicare and having access to be able to have the best medication and such available and have the best way of life available for those who are going to be reaching our 70s and our 80s and our 90s and possibly 100 plus. Man, I need to have the younger folks be able to have the ability, be able to have the common sense, be able to have the worldliness, to be able to want to take care of me. So the better that they understand about where we are as a society and how we got there, when you're speaking about Hispanics, when you're speaking about uh, women, when you're speaking about Mormons, when you're speaking about Jews, Jewish folks, when you're speaking about blacks, when you're speaking about Hispanics, when you're speaking about uh, uh, Asians, when you're speaking about gay and lesbian, when you're thinking about trans, when you're speaking about all of these folks coming into this country and making strides to be part of the fabric of what is America, man, I need to have the younger generation understand what came before them to where our country is right now and how they can bring this to a better situation so they can learn, so they can grow, so this country can truly be a land of opportunity for everybody. And as I mentioned before, make sure when I'm no longer available to uh, contribute to this country financially as such, that uh, the same folks that I'm teaching and educating right now about what's going on in the history of of my community and other communities and how we got to where we are in this world. Hey man, they'll have the knowledge. They'll have the understanding. They'll have the respect. They'll have the care to uh, want to take care of me and want to take care of my community and your community and other communities. So um, that's what we got to do, man. That's, that's exactly what we got to do for the younger generation too, too late for us, but uh, not too late for others. All right, man, that's my spiel. That's my shtick. That's what I'm talking about when it concerns the Roe v. Wade, not just in terms of because the Roe v. Wade doesn't affect me. I'm not a woman, but I understand the plan that they have that you start here. Eventually, you're going to get to uh, you're going to get to my community. And believe me, uh, after centuries and centuries of trying, uh, you know, my 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 community is not going to be too far behind in terms of what they're going to try to do to uh, control, eradicate and uh, and and uh, and bring it back to where it was before. So, man, you know, for people of my age, my generation, man, it's all about the education of the young folks. It's all about the education, the acknowledgement, and the history lessons given in terms of having them understand um, why, where this country got here and uh, how we can keep it moving in a direction to where turn this country around in terms of the direction where we are a loving, unified 
harmonious group of people, as I mentioned before. We're not talking about skin color. We're not talking about gender. We're not talking about any of that. When it comes to the unification, when it comes to the loving and the giving and the unselfishness and the caring of others, it's for those with good hearts. It's for those with good moral fiber and for those who want to also spread the love of unity and togetherness. That's what we should be concentrating on. Nothing else in terms of race, gender, any of that stuff matter. And I want to do my best to make sure that um, I get that out to the younger generation through education, through love and respect and those type of things. I hope that you do the same thing. I hope somehow, some way, some of the past instances that have happened outside of the world of sports will lead you to also want to do that with your children, with your church group, with your friends, with everybody, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your godchildren, with your grandchildren, whatever, man. Let's let's see what we can do to uh, educate them because, man, I don't want to be living. I would hate to have them living in a time uh, that we're living in right now as far as being the age that we are right now and having to deal with some of the nonsense that's still been going on now for in some cases, century. So uh, let's see if we can do that. Wendell's World in Sports. How about that? Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. All right, man, let's go ahead and get to some sports. Um, blah, 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 blah. The last time I did a podcast, what was that all about, right? Wasn't it about the Golden State Warriors? Wasn't it about Steph Curry, the performance that he had 43 points in game four, went seven uh, 14 from the three-point line, scored 43 points. He was fantastic. He was unbelievable. Well, who would have thought that performance would have propelled the Golden State Warriors to become the 2022 NBA champions? Congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. Beat Boston in game six, 103 to 90 to win the series four games to two. The MVP of the finals, of course, was Steph Curry in game six, scored 34 points, had seven rebounds, and also seven assists for the series. Curry becomes just the fourth player in NBA history to average at least 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, and multiple NBA finals. He joins Michael Jordan, the King LeBron James, and Jerry West. And also, with this triumphant performance by Curry, he becomes the fifth player to win multiple NBA MVPs, finals MVP, and a scoring title in his career. He joins the like of the superstar Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, MJ, LeBron James, and Wilt Chamberlain, Chamberlain. So it was a situation, but I'm not going to get into the minutia of uh, Game 6 and break it on down. I think just, I just want to say this, and then I'll get to this whole talk and, and discussion now about, and I'm quite sure people have had it before. I know this is a situation where the finals is over a week old, so I know expiration dates on this don't stay too long. But, uh, you know, when people are speaking about dynasties and where does the Golden State Warriors stand now as a dynasty and what does uh, what does this mean for the legacy of Steph Curry and, and all these type of things and trying to define where is he now at the best point guard in NBA history and all this stuff before I get into uh, all that. I just want to say that I was pretty much shocked. And I remember at the end of game four, and Jason Tatum had the ball, the buzzer sounded, and at the game ended and the buzzer sounded, Tatum slapped the ball as hard as he could on the uh, on the hardwood floor as he was walking off because he knew that he missed a golden opportunity for the, uh, for the Warriors to uh, go ahead and really make some moves in the in these uh, in these finals, so it was. I, I, I noticed that, but I really didn't 
take too much into that because I thought as Steve Kerr said that the, after the end of uh, Game Four, hey, look, man, he told the fellows in the locker room, hey, man, before we go ahead and start dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie and dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas, before we get too excited and that type of thing, we start doing the funky chicken and the kitten play and all those type of things and the running man. Before we get into all of that kind of stuff, let's just remember in Game Five, the Celtics are going to come out mad. They're going to come out angry. They're going to come out hungry. They're going to come out ready to rip, roar, and ready to rumble. So we don't match that intensity. Really, game four, this performance, means nothing. So we have to be cognizant of that. And it was interesting, even though in game five, Steph Curry had a bad game, what Steve Kerr, what I thought was going to happen with Boston coming out of the game, coming out of the shoot in game five, angry, upset, and wanting to do something. There seemed to be a, a, a malaise. There seemed to be some type of carryover. There seemed to be a hangover from the performance in game four, a missed opportunity to really put a stranglehold on the uh, series. They could have gone up game, uh, they could have gone up three to one, which in the essence would have put the uh, champagne maybe on ice in terms of the championship is concerned. For the Celtics, that was the thinking, that was the thought process going into Game 4, not just from the Celtics, but also from the Warriors. If you saw the way Steve Kerr coached that game, if you saw the performance, not just in terms of what the uh, what um, Steph Curry did in terms of putting up the numbers, but the emotion that he was showing, the emotion that he um, that he showed the ball to Celtics fans and such. I mean, it was so Draymond Greenish in terms of his antics, in terms of his outward emotion, that uh, you realized how important this game was for war- the Warriors and um, and Steph Curry. But in Game 5, it was a situation where, yeah, Curry didn't have that game of the ages. In fact, he had a very poor game, at least as far as shooting is concerned. But Boston came out still like in a still like in a fog. And it was just surprising. It seemed like the slam from Jason Tatum meant more than just we missed an opportunity to uh, basically win the series. It was almost like a situation where we missed an opportunity to win the series with that show of emotion at the end of Game 4. So uh, the carryover from Game 4 to Game 5. Uh, missed a golden opportunity Boston did to win the series. Then went back to Game 6. The the fury and the thunder and the emotion and the passion and the desperation and the drive that the Celtics showed in Game 6 to start the game where they jumped out 14-2. to two. I thought they were going to show that in Game 5, but they didn't. So they jumped out 14-2. to two. The place is rocking and rolling. Jason Tatum hits a couple of shots. TD Waterhouse is going crazy. They're dancing in the streets. Not yet. But uh, all of a sudden, the Golden State Warriors said, that's okay, that's fine. Let me go ahead and hit you with a 35-8 to run, including a 21 to nothing run. And at that point, I said, this ball game's over. This series is over. The Golden State Warriors have found their mojo. They have found their weakness. They have found the kryptonite to uh, Jason Tatum's Superman. And it was over. And it was done. And Boston made a couple of comebacks. Boston tried hard, but uh, the Golden State Warriors were not going to allow the Celtics to get back into the game. So there you have it, man. So it was a situation where the Golden State Warriors are your NBA champions. And here on Wendell's World of Sports, Wendell Wallace starring the podcast. I was thinking about this because, you know, you have the conversation of where did the Golden State Warriors rank as far as dynasties are concerned and how do they compare with the 1960 Boston Celtics? How do they compare with the 1990 Chicago Bulls with MJ? 
How do they compare with the L.A. Lakers, five championships in nine years in the 1980s? How does this compare with the Kobe Bryant-led, Shaquille Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Phil Jackson-led Los Angeles Lakers championships, the three-peat? How does this sit with the um, San Antonio Spurs dynasty? All of these things that we're getting into. What, what, how, what, and look, when we're speaking about trying to figure out what's a dynasty, who's a dynasty, where's a dynasty, haven't you been a dynasty too, here's a dynasty, where is a dynasty? Before we get into all that, man, what makes this so different and what makes this so difficult, what makes this so inane is the fact that we have to just bring it down to what is your definition of a dynasty? When we're speaking about the Golden State Warriors, when we're speaking about Golden State, we're speaking about dynasties and we're speaking about where they fit and where they ranked. Man, you know what? The Champagne, once they won that championship, was still on ice and hadn't even melted yet. And we're speaking about if this rep, if this reminiscent of MJ's dynasty, six championships in eight years, two three-peats. Are we speaking about the San Antonio Spurs? What are we speaking about here? Four NBA championships in, what, eight seasons. Went to the NBA Finals six times in these eight years. But, man, when you want to go ahead and you want to just start placing dynasties and start placing where they ranked, number one, isn't it too too premature to be doing those type of things? And, again, what is your definition of a dynasty? Because when we revisit this, let's just say, for instance, this is the last championship that the Golden State Warriors win with this core, which makes up this dynasty, which is Coach Kerr, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. Let's just say... That group with Golden State, they're done winning championships, right? Then all of a sudden, let's just bring in a team like, uh, let's tell you, bring in a team like the uh, Phoenix Suns. Or maybe we have two or three years where we have maybe the Milwaukee Bucks win a championship next year. Maybe the Dallas Mavericks after that win a championship. And then after that, maybe the, um, maybe the Denver Nuggets win a championship. I'm, I'm just throwing out teams here who are pretty good, have some young talent, this, that, and the other, who are, who are going to be in the running. Because injuries play a lot in what's happening, and you know a lot of circumstances on and off the court and such play a lot in, into you know what, what you know which team is going to be favored to win a championship, which team is going to be favored to go ahead and win back to backs or become the next great team, become the next super team. We don't know what's going to be happening in free agency. We don't know what's going to be happening injury wise. We don't know if Nikola Jokic one day is going to come in and just say, you know what, get me out of here. I'm, I want to be traded to another team. We don't know if Luka decides that he wants to stay in Slovenia and play over there. We don't. We don't know if Giannis hopefully doesn't you know get you know ha- what we see what happens with uh, Clay Thompson. We we don't know if, if Giannis is not going to tear an ACL or tear an Achilles or such. I'm hoping that he's not. But I'm just saying when we're speaking about NBA champions, when we're speaking about NBA contenders, or just, just sports in general, when we're speaking about teams winning championships and such, there's so much that goes into making of that for us to sit here and try to predict which teams are going to be winning championships in the year 2024, 25, 26, and such. I think it's ludicrous, and I'm not talking about the rapper. So when we're speaking about this dynasty currently, if you want to call this a dynasty for the Golden State Warriors, which consists of Steph, Clay, and Draymond with Coach Kerr. Is that the cutoff point where it gets to the point where the where the where the 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 iteration of this Golden State Warrior team winning championship is over? Where do we put the stop to it? Because as of right now, hey look, four championships 
eight seasons, nine seasons, been to the championships and been to the NBA Finals six straight, uh, six years in those eight years. As of right now, we put a pin in it. We, we you know, we, we roll the credits at the end of the movie and we fade to black. Okay, yeah, you can start saying that, man, this is the most dynamic thing. This is the most impressive thing that I've seen since the San Antonio winning sport four championships in nine years or the Chicago Bulls winning six championships in eight years. All of that stuff is great. But when we start defining definitions, if Clay, Steph, Draymond, and Coach Kerr go for another three seasons, right? And they don't win another championship. Where would you put that dynasty then compared to where it is now? And what about the storylines? What about the remarkable turnaround in terms of what the Golden State Warriors are when you speak about this dynasty? How much do storylines, how much do the juicy, delicious, tasty storylines fall into this? What made the Bulls so doggone great? What made the Bulls so doggone compelling? It was a situation where Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, Phil Jackson won three straight championships. They beat the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. They vanquished Magic Johnson, his last opportunity to get himself a championship. They went ahead and beat the uh, Portland Trail Blazers. Then they went ahead and beat Charles Barkley, his best and maybe only chance to get an NBA championship. Phoenix being the best team of that year record-wise with Tom Chambers and Kevin Johnson and Danny Ainge and Dan Marley and, and uh, Charles Barkley and such. Chicago beating them in six games, three championships in a row. Oh, my goodness. But then Jordan decides that he wants to go to fantasy camp and play baseball, mourning over the murder of his father, goes away for a couple of years. The greatest player who's ever played, who finally got past the who finally got past the haters who said that, you know what, that's the reason why he could never be Magic Johnson. That's the reason why he could never be Larry Bird because before – he won that first championship at the age of 27, seven years in the league. It was all about Michael Jordan. The haters were saying that Michael Jordan was more interested in winning NBA scoring championships than he was about winning NBA championships. So when he finally won, not one, not two, but three NBA championships in a row and established himself not only as the most talented player in the NBA before he won that championship, but now the most dominant player in the NBA has started to build that resume and started to garner that attention of him being the greatest player of all time. Then he quits and plays to go play baseball because he's burned out because of the attention, because of being a global icon, because of everything that went down, his quest, his journey, not only trying to get past Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Danny Ainge and, Dennis Johnson and Robert Parrish and Larry Bird and such in the 80s to vanquish that dynasty and then stop the mini dynasty, which was the bad boys, Detroit Pistons, and getting over that hump before finally reaching the pinnacle, reaching the, uh, the, 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 the prize of the journey, which is that LOB, the NBA championship. Jordan said, I had enough. I'm going. I'm moving. I'm doing something else. Dynasty stops. Was it the dynasty? Dynasty in the making stops. How great was the dynasty if Jordan would have stayed away and continued to play baseball? Comes back, though. The Bulls acquired Dennis Rodman. They overcome the Orlando Magic, who beat them when Jordan came back to win another three championships. It makes the storyline for the Chicago Bulls more juicy. It makes the... It makes the, it makes the argument for ranking how high, how low... 
the Chicago Bulls dynasty is a little bit more. You have a little bit more information. You have a little bit more to go on. There's always been, and we're speaking about dynasties, where there's always been that, that storyline to be played into it, to be baked into cake, where we're going to try to see which one of the greatest dynasties will be chopped and which ones will be moving on in terms of being the greatest dynasty of all time. Now let's just go ahead and take a look at this Golden State Warriors basketball team, this current dynasty that we have in the NBA right now, which is the Golden State Warriors. What makes this interesting? What makes this juicy? What makes this compelling? What makes this um, Hollywood script movie ready-ish situation where, hey, look, man, I mean, this was a situation where the Golden State Warriors, for a little bit of time, were the best team going. There was a time when the Golden State Warriors had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. They were, they, you could consider them strongly to be the greatest team of all time. When you're speaking about a Golden State Warrior team from 2015 to 2018, in which they won three championships in four years, you could say that group, or let's, let's even throw in 2019, with the, um, the the year that they lost in the NBA Finals to the uh, Toronto Raptors, which ended the KD-Steph Curry era in Golden State. You could take a look at that and say, you know, the injury that KD had in the series, the Western Conference Finals against Houston, um, his inability to play in the NBA Finals cost the Golden State Warriors a championship. Game 6, Clay Thompson tearing his ACL also contributed to the Toronto Raptors winning that NBA championship. So let's, 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 let's include 2019 also. Because you can make the argument that if it wasn't for injury, injury, Golden State would have won that championship over Kawhi and Kyle Lowry and Siakam and such. Okay, let's go ahead and do that. So we're speaking about 2015, the Warriors won that championship. 2016, they go 73-9 and um, lose a championship after holding a 3-1 lead because Draymond Green wanted to kick LBJ in the nuts. When you're speaking about 28, when you're speaking about 2017, 2018, the acquisition of Kevin Durant basically making them on talent, maybe in terms of the one through four, the greatest team, the greatest collection of talent in NBA history. And then 2019, the end of the road, when the boys to men of the Golden State Warriors uh, in their relationship together in terms of KD moving, taking his talents to the boogie down, the injury to Klay Thompson being serious enough to where he was going to be missing the preceding year. And then Steph Curry that next season breaking either his wrist or his hand. Uh, I know he broke, a, I think his hand or his wrist, one of the two, but basically he was out for the majority of the year, which constituted, which contributed to uh, Golden State going 15 and 67 at that time. But getting back to that 15-19 Golden State Warriors squad, this was a situation where, man, they were the best team in the NBA by far, especially after the acquisition of Kevin Durant. It was almost like now now you're just, now, not, o- not only are you kicking somebody when they're down, you're kicking, you're shooting, you're stabbing, you're beating them with a baseball bat, you're strangling them, everything that you could possibly do. There were, as far as when the Golden State Warriors, they were already damn near unbeatable in 2015 and 2016. They were so far ahead of everybody else. Then you go ahead and you get yourself Kevin Durant. For the years of 2017 and 2018, nobody was beating the Golden State Warriors unless two of those guys, Steph, KD, Clay, Draymond, 
two of those guys, not one of those guys, unless two of those guys would have gotten injured, there was nobody out there. There was no team out there that was going to beat the Golden State Warriors. In fact, there was nothing that anybody could do. There was no trade. If the league conspired to build a super team to beat the Golden State Warriors with KD, Steph, Draymond, and Clay, there was no acquisition. There was no team to be put together. There was no dream team available that was going to beat that team in 2017 and 2018. So the first three championships, you could say, and, and this was a, a ding not only for Kevin Durant, but also for Steph Curry in terms of, well, I mean, you know, how truly great are these guys when you're speaking about NBA champions? Because A, Steph never won himself a final MVP, despite being on the team which had the most talent put together in NBA history. He still couldn't win himself an Finals MVP that went to Kevin Durant. So was it Kevin Durant's team? Was it Steph Curry's team? And then with Kevin Durant, it was a situation was, well, he couldn't win one in Oklahoma City, so he had to join a team that the year before went 73-9 and to win a championship. How valid, how much validity do we give to the, to Kevin Durant champion type moniker when he had to go ahead and do that? How much validity, how much weight should we put on that when we're speaking about champion Kevin Durant? So all of this stuff was swirling around the Golden State Warriors, which is to say which makes this championship so much sweeter and the reason why these guys were celebrating so much. And you saw the outward emotion that Steph showed near the end of Game 6 when he realized that they were going to be NBA champions, that they were back on the throne. But the fact that this was a situation where, hey, look, man, we went to, through, to, to, uh, through two seasons to where we were 15-67, and 67, then instead of drafting LaMelo Ball, we got ourselves James Weissman. Oops. Then we go ahead and we missed the um, playoffs because we couldn't uh, beat Memphis in the play-in game. So there was a situation where, hey, look, man, you know, we're no longer that 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19 Golden State Warriors squad, which um, in many of occasions, I'm sorry to say this, but basically if you just rolled the ball out during that time and the Warriors showed up, that 70, 75% of the time they were going to win the game just based on them showing up and giving a little bit of a damn against the majority of teams that they played in the NBA. It's not, it wasn't like that now. Steph had to go through the 15-67 and 67 and getting injured and not being there with his running mate, Clay Thompson, who after overcoming the ACL tear, then before the season started, tore his Achilles, which caused him to miss another season. We all know about the trials and tribulations of Clay Thompson before getting back to uh, where he was. So... All of this stuff was just coming out as far as emotion-wise with the Warriors when they won their championship, which makes this even much sweeter because if this would have happened, say, seven, it, let's, let's just say, for instance, the Warriors win a championship in 2025, Steph wins a championship in 2025, the team of Draymond, Clay, Steph, Steve Kerr, this iteration of the Golden State Warriors win, itself, win themselves a championship in 2025, but it's not Steph leading the way. It's not Clay leading the way. It's not Draymond leading the way. It's those guys having to hand the reins of greatness and leadership and responsibility of winning to guys like Jonathan Kaminga. Or maybe James Wiseman turns around and becomes the player that the Warriors were hoping that they were getting when they drafted him number two. So maybe it's a situation where the Golden State Warriors, the reason why they won the 2025 NBA championship, which would give them their fourth championship with Clay and Draymond and Steph on the team, but the team had now transitioned to James Wiseman, to Jonathan Kaminga, 
to the kid Moody from Alabama, from other players being more responsible as far as the Golden State Warriors winning championships. How does that then bake into the quote-unquote dynasty? Is Golden State a dynasty? All of this is to say that when you're defining dynasty, when you're talking about dynasty, and when you want to place a dynasty somewhere, man, it's so hard, it's so difficult, it's so complex that it's it, it, it's, it's almost like a, a worthless type of uh, journey to take. Because as of right now, yeah, the Warriors, four championships, eight seasons, six NBA finals, but if they don't win another championship, where are, they, where are you going to put them in five years? Where are you going to put them in four years? Where are you, you going to put them in seven years? Where did the cutoff point go? Because if the San Antonio Spurs hadn't won a championship in 2014, it would have been the San Antonio Spurs who won four championships in nine seasons instead of the San Antonio Spurs who won five championships in 16 seasons. Which one do you want to go with? Do you want to go with the four in nine years? Do you want to go with the five in 16 years? Which one is more impressive? Which one, which one should we laud over more? When you're speaking about the L.A. Lakers, who won, what, six championships since uh, 1999? They were going to party like it's 1999 when they won that last uh, championship in 2020. Where do we put that dynasty? Where do, where do we go with that? What are we talking about? Now, are we going to break this down into three or two, one big dynasty? Are we speaking about the three-peat with Kobe Shaq? Phil, Devin George and such, Derek Fitcher and such, where they made it to the finals four years and won three NBA championships before Shaq decided that uh, he wanted to get paid. And Dr. Jerry Buss said, well, we're going to pay Kobe and we're not going to give you the type of uh, respect and uh, spotlight that you want. And oh, by the way, Phil Jackson is leaving, so we might go ahead and see what we can do to get some guy named Mike Krzyzewski out of Duke. You remember that, don't you? You remember when the Lakers lost to uh, Detroit and there were some rumblings and some grumblings that uh, the Lakers were going to try to pursue Coach K to leave Duke and to uh, coach the Lakers. And Krzyzewski, I think, thought about it for like, I don't know, maybe a half an hour and said, no, nah, I'm good. And Shaquille O'Neal's quote in terms of why he wanted to leave the Lakers, one of the reasons why he wanted to leave the Lakers or why he was so glad that he lost, that he went to Miami or he was traded to Miami because he didn't want to play for some guy named Krasuski. Remember all that rumbling and grumbling that was going on? So you could say that was the end of that Laker dynasty. Three championships, NBA finals, four straight years. Was it the dynasty in your mind and your definition? Was that a dynasty? Are we going to attach it because of Shaq and Kobe? Or are we going to elongate what is a dynasty with the Los Angeles Lakers? Because five years later, the Lakers won two championships in a row and went to three NBA finals. Lost to Boston, beat Boston, beat Orlando. So do we include that? Kobe, Paul Gasol, Lamar Odom. Ron Artest, a.k.a. Middle World Peace. Do we, Derek Fisher still with the, with the band? Phil Jackson joins, rejoins the Lakers? Are we going to equate that? Are we going to put that also in the entire entirety of what the Laker dynasty was? Because can you have a dynasty if you win back-to-back and go to the NBA Finals three straight years? All of these things, all of these questions. Some say yes, some say no. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's a good run. Were the Miami Heat with the heels of LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh, was that a dynasty? They went to four NBA Finals. They won two in a row. 
Should that constitute a should that constitute a dynasty? Was that a mini dynasty? The bad boy Detroit Pistons with Isaiah and Joe Dumars was that a dynasty? Was that a mini dynasty? Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So when we start speaking about dynasties, I mean, you know, you bring up the Boston Celtics of 11 championships in 13 years. Nobody's going to beat that dynasty. Yeah. Then people have the uh, argument of, yeah, you're never going to beat that dynasty because guess what? Back in the 1960s, you had, what, eight teams in the NBA playing at that time. There's a situation where the NBA was was, was completely different back then than it was right now. So how can you equate the dynasties of our generation to the dynasties back then? So I, 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 it's, it's fun, it's wonderful, knock yourself out, have at it. But uh, for me, I just keep moving and grooving with it in terms of, uh, you know, the Golden State Warriors, congratulations, way to go, man. NBA champions, have at it, wonderful, dynasty, no dynasty, impressive, not impressive, greatest of all time, not the greatest of all time, whatever, man. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself on the Golden Gate Bridge, but don't jump. Enjoy yourself, man. Enjoy the uh, fruits of the labor. The Golden State Warriors are your 2022 NBA champions. Dynasty, who knows? Who cares? I'm just ready to go on and talk about something else. Hit me with a little music, please. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa. All of those good things, man. Everybody, everybody listening from the states of America to the European countries to Australia to Canada to the motherland of Africa, the continent of Africa, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so doggone much. If you're listening in LA, special dedication. If you're listening in Roanoke, Virginia, special dedication. If you're listening in the Washington, D.C. area, special dedication. If you're listening to this in Perth, Australia, special dedication. If you're listening to this in Enid, Oklahoma, special dedication. If you're listening to this in Mesquite, Nevada, special dedication. If you're listening to this in Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg, special dedication. If you're listening to this anywhere in Norway, Sweden, the Netherlands, special dedications. Thank you so much. Again, if you want to go ahead and like and subscribe to my YouTube channel, thank you so much. Special dedication to you. If you want to subscribe, download, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy. Thank you so much. Thank you very much also for giving me 
the platform and giving me this time and the space to get my thoughts and feelings out about uh, the decision about Roe versus Wade, as I mentioned before, all about a bigger picture. So instead of um, pontificating and speaking about uh, just Roe v. Wade in just the uh, small uh, micro of it, I just wanted to mean, just wanted to give you my thoughts and feelings about the bigger picture of what this decision means, not just for the present, but also for the future, not with the beautiful ladies and women and gals of this country, but what it means for other minority groups in this country and what my idea is in trying to curb the journey toward uh, this country and people in this country of ill hearts and selfishness and ignorance and um, bigotry and stereotypes and racism and segregation, what they want to uh, what they want to eventually do. Because, hey, man, it's all prevalent and it's all right here in our country. Maybe you can't see it. Maybe because of your skin color, maybe because of your financial uh, wherewithal right now, maybe because of where you're currently living and the folks that you're living around, maybe you can't see what's uh, looking right at you and what's coming. But believe me, for those who don't have blurry eyes, for those who have glasses and those who can see, um, letting you know right now, man, um, yeah, you got to wake up, you got to do some things or else you're next. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us speaking about this whole dynasty thing, speaking about the um, speaking about the Golden State Warriors. I want to get a little bit into Kyrie, and he wants to either play for the Nets or basically he's trying to angle his way to play with the Lakers. I'm going to maybe get into that on my next podcast when uh, Kyrie makes a decision whether to opt in or opt out, and what does that mean for the Nets, and what does that mean for the Lakers, and how is this going to be done, and what does it mean for the NBA, and then there's also the situation, NBA free agency is going to be starting um, next week, my next podcast, I'm going to give a uh, special shout out, a special dedication to Len Bias, but um, on July 1st is when uh, the um, when free agency starts in the NBA, so we got the whole Bradley Beal thing, we got the whole Kyrie Irving thing, we've got all of these things going down. Of course, if it's the NBA, you know the Los Angeles Lakers have to be involved. So, give me an opportunity to really expound on my thoughts and feelings, and give me a little bit more direction on where to go in terms of my thoughts and feelings and opinions, depending upon the Kyrie Irving situation. Because right now, all we can do is sit here and pontificate and say, "Well, you know." Kyrie Irving, I can't believe that he's trying to go to the Lakers. Well, what happens if he re-signs with the Brooklyn Nets? Well, what does it mean for the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant if uh, Kyrie Irving goes to the Lakers? Well, let's wait and see first. We haven't heard anything that we haven't heard anything from Kevin Durant yet. Now, reports are that he's unhappy with the Brooklyn Nets organization because they're not really seeing the inner man, or they're not really taking into account all of the things about Kyrie Irving, which makes Kyrie Irving and whatever that means. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't, I don't know Kyrie Irving, so I know his actions. I, I, I know in terms of what's being reported about him and that type of thing, but the man personally in terms of what makes Kyrie Irving tick, I don't know. I haven't interviewed him. I haven't spoke to him. I haven't hung out with him. I, have, I know nothing about Kyrie Irving in terms of my personal level unless through Instagram or social media or reporting by others give me an idea of what Kyrie Irving, the human being, is all about. But through that, how can you really take into account or get a strong idea of what a man is and what he thinks, a man or a woman or a child, in terms of what he thinks? I don't know. So I'm just going to wait a little bit. 
get a little bit more information, kind of reel in my thoughts, kind of, uh, you know, responsibility as wise with my thoughts, get them there, and then I'll go ahead and give you my thoughts and opinions about Kyrie Irving, whether he is a jackass for doing what he's doing. You know what? Um, you, you know what? I'll get back to uh, Steph Curry in just a second. I just want to say this. You know who? Um, you know who Kyrie Irving reminds me of? You remember Ricky Williams, the football player, won a Heisman Trophy at the University of uh, Texas, was the number one pick of the New Orleans Saints. Mike Ditka, the coach of the Saints at that time, went ahead and moved heaven and earth and all the draft picks that he could to get Ricky Williams and Ricky Williams played for the Saints a little bit and then he was traded to the Miami Dolphins. I think that's where he finished out his career. And it was a situation where that was I don't want to use the word weird, but Ricky Williams was a was a, was a cat who just went to the beat of his own drum, you know? I mean, he unconventional a unique personality and all those type of things that doesn't make him weird. That doesn't make him less of a man or less of a human being. It's just, that's who he was. He wasn't out there doing anything wrong. He wasn't out there murdering people. He he wasn't out there, you know, raping and torturing and murdering women and then placing them on hillsides in Los Angeles. He wasn't uh, driving around in this car and picking up young men and, and uh, killing them and putting them in this crawl, crawl space. He wasn't driving around college campuses in the Northwest and, uh, and, 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 and getting women and, and, and killing them or doing all this type of stuff. He wasn't hanging out in, in uh, Wisconsin where he was, uh, you know, trying to go after gay men and killing them and then eating his barley parts. He wasn't, you know, roaming around the University of Florida, you know, committing crimes. I mean, he was just a guy who was just minding his own business, going by the law and just being unconventional in terms of what we think is conventional day-to-day for someone of his stature, someone of his financial uh, wherewithal at the time and, he was just doing his own thing. Kyrie Irving is the same way. As much as we might like, we, we might not like Kyrie Irving because I don't know. Call him a free thinker. Call him a man who who goes to his own drum. Maybe he's I don't know what it, I don't know what it is in terms of what he does is so unconventional at times. Is that we don't like him for being unconventional. Now, yeah, he could be divas. He can show diva qualities and all those type of things, but. He's not doing anything wrong. All of this stuff that he's doing is not against the law or I don't, I don't know defines him as a bad person or a person that should be um, showered with hate or criticism or such. I don't know, man. It's just a guy who's just doing his own thing and he's doing it different than anybody else or different than a lot of folks out there, different than me and you. So does he deserve our scorn and our criticism because of that? I don't know. Or, our, or, or you know, somehow be made a joke or made the butt of jokes of, of that type of thing? I don't know. But Kyrie Irving reminds me a lot of Ricky Williams, who I think, I think, he's, I think he's, he went into yoga and he was up there talking about how great marijuana is for the system and the soul and everything like that. And Hey, man, do your thing, Ricky. Do your thing. As long as you're happy, then, you know, hey, by all means, do your thing. But that's what kind of like, Kyrie Irving is kind of like the modern-day Ricky Williams in that sense in terms of he's just doing the thing, man. He's just doing it a little bit different than everybody else or what we think is conventional wisdom. So Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. Okay, let me go ahead and get into Steph Curry. Let me fix my glasses here. Boy, do I need a shave. Okay, so Steph and Curry, where, where, where do we put him here, man? Where do we go? Where do we rank him? Where do we... What are we talking about, huh? Where where do we go with all of this, all of this type of stuff? Because um, 
for the haters, what more can you say? For the haters, where are you going to go? What are you going to talk about? <laughs> right? Because when you now take a look at the legacy of Steph Curry, and, you, and you're talking about, you know, where does he stand now in terms of uh, he won the NBA Finals MVP and such. <sighs> He's a two-time league MVP. Unanimous MVP, I might add, but two-time MVP, league MVP. That's more than KD or Kobe or Carl Malone or Shaquille O'Neal. Hakeem Elijah won Oscar Robertson. He has more MVPs than them. He's a four-time NBA champion, NBA Finals MVP, um, greatest shooter in NBA history. I want to say this, though. You know what's the most, most remarkable part about his legacy when you're speaking about Steph Curry? I think in terms of a dynasty of winning as many championships as he has and has been the focal point in each one of those championships, especially when you're speaking about the first championship and then the fourth. I think Steph is, what, 6'3"? He's listed as 6'3", and in all actuality, he's probably closer to 6'1 than he is 6'3". But uh, he might be the first player, I think, in NBA history to be 6'5 and under and be the franchise player and be the most important player on that team to have this type of dynasty in terms of winning, what, four championships. Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, they won a couple. Um, that's really about it. When you're speaking about a, a, a guard who was the best player on a team, to win multiple championships. I think it was Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas, and, and that's about it. Because if you really think about it, Dynasty throughout the history of the NBA, the Minneapolis Lakers won five championships in six seasons. The main man was George Mikan. Boston Celtics won 11 championships in 13 seasons. The main man was Bill Russell. NBA in the 1970, eight different champions between the 1970 and 1979 seasons. When you're speaking about the Milwaukee Bucks with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the superstar, I still think known as Lou Alcindor, winning a championship with Oscar Robertson. The Lakers won a championship with Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain in 71-72. The New York Knicks, that was more of a team collection in terms of Willis Reed, Clyde Frazier, Earl Monroe, Dave the Busher, Bill Bradley winning championships, Dave Cowens and John Havlicek, Dave Cowens and JoJo White with the Boston Celtics when they won their two championships in the 70s. Rick Barry with the Golden State Warriors, they won one. The Portland Trailblazers, Bill Walton, they won one in 77 when they beat Dr. J and Lloyd B. Free from the top of the key. And um, and uh, Bobby Jones wasn't on that team. Julius, who was on that team? Julius, George McGinnis, and Lloyd B. Free. There you go. Um, the Portland, oh, and, and uh, Kobe's uh, father was on that team too, Joe, Joe Bryant. Um, my Washington Bullets, Wes Unsell, Elvin Hayes, Bobby Dandridge. The Seattle Supersonics won one with Dennis Johnson and Gus Williams, but, but they only won one. 1980s, the Lakers, the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers, Detroit Pistons, all won championships in that uh, in that decade. Magic, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, Byron Scott, Norm Nixon, Kurt Rambis, Mark Ivoroni. Uh, it's not like Mark Ivoroni. Mark Landsberger won the uh, championships with the Lakers. Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, Dennis Johnson, Jerry Steesting. They won a championship. Moses Malone, Julius Irving, Andrew Toney, um, Mo Cheeks, Bobby Jones, Sedale Threat. <laughs> Clement Johnson, they won in 82-83. Uh, and then we have the back-to-back uh, -back with Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars. 90s was, of course, Jordan and the Bulls. Hakeem won the other two with the Houston Rockets. 
So when you take a look at these championships, when you take a look at these teams, when you take a look at the most important players, again, it was Steph Curry that stands out when you're speaking about teams who have won championships and multiple championships in terms of a guy who was basically a guard, point guard, shooting guard, guard, 6'3", winning championships without any extraordinary physical gifts to dominate like, uh, like he has and has won as many championships as he has and has been as great as he has. He, has, he, he doesn't have the speed or quickness of an Allen Iverson or a John Wall or the overall physical dominance of, uh, of a Russell Westbrook or uh, a D. Wade or a Derrick Rose or a James Harden. I mean, so when we're ranking, when we're ranking Steph Curry, I mean, I don't know. I mean, people are ranking him as a point guard. Is he a point guard? I never thought Steph Curry was a point guard. But then again, what's your definition of a point guard? If you're from a certain age group, if you watch basketball for a certain amount of time, your definition of what a point guard is might be a complete 180 in terms of what my definition of a point guard is or your definition or your or your wife's or your husband's or your father's or your grandfather's or your great uncle's. I mean, the, the definitions change. When I think of a quote-unquote point guard, I think of someone like, um, I think of someone like a Magic Johnson or... Uh, an Oscar Robertson or a Chris Paul or uh, an Isaiah Thomas or a Jason Kidd or a, a Steve Nash, uh, John Stockton. Those to me are quote-unquote point guards, the traditional old-school point guards. You know, the, the guys who are setting up the setting up the other players for points and baskets, and they're more concerned about getting assists than points, and they're not looking for their shot as much. They're looking to run the show. They're a coach on the floor, those type of things. Magic. Uh, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Stockton, guys who average anywhere between 16, 17, 20, 21 points per game, but yet and still averaged um, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 assists per game. That was their groove. That was their deal. That was what they, uh, that's what they, what they, were, they were doing, winning assist titles. When I speak about the old school, traditional point guards, Magic, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, and Oscar Robertson, those were the guys who could get assists while still res- uh, get points as well as assists still resembling some type of point guard. But, you know, you take a look at today's point guard, you take a look at the, you know, the point guards for the last um, 10, 15 years, and you speak of someone like an Allen Iverson. Was Allen Iverson the point guard? Was Is Russell Westbrook? I know he's the point guard, but had Mr. Triple Double himself? I mean, here's a guy who's was if you take a look at his, his usage rate, he wasn't what you would consider a traditional point guard, speaking of Russell Westbrook, a uh, James Harden, a Baron Davis, a Derrick Rose, a Gilbert Arena. These guys were all scoring point guards, not from the traditional sense, and Steph Curry was part of that generation. Steph Curry can do both. Steph Curry, because of his ability to score, his ability to shoot, he wasn't asked. It would be ludicrous. It would be a derelict of duties if you asked as a coach in an organization for Stephen Curry to be a to be a Magic Johnson clone or to be a John Stockton clone or try to play his game like Chris Paul or Jason Kidd or Steve Nash. That would be that would be insane. That would be ridiculous when you take a look at uh, Steph Curry. So when he goes down, when you're speaking about this whole situation in terms of what is Steph Curry, point guard, shooting guard, I mean, can you really call him just a point guard? Can you call him a shooting guard? Do you, can you just say guard? 
And if you just say that he's a guard, which he is, especially in the system that he's been in with uh, Golden State, then what are we talking about in terms of his legacy of where he is in terms of the best point guard in the history of the game? The best shooting guard in the history of the game? What do we fit here? What are we talking about? I think the best guards in NBA history, you're speaking about Magic. You're speaking about, of course, Michael Jordan, Oscar Robertson, um, D. Wade, Kobe, Jerry West, George Gervin, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, along with Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, and such, the uh, names that I mentioned before as quote-unquote point guard. Could it be that Steph Curry might be the most versatile offensive guard in NBA history? The most offensive, versatile guard in NBA history. I think as far as the most versatile frontcourt player in NBA history, when you speak about uh, you know Wilt and Kareem and Bill Russell and Carl um, Malone and Kevin McHale and, and those type of guys, I think that the most versatile frontcourt player of all time is Tim Duncan, a guy who was listed as a center, but when you take a look at the teams that he played on and you take a look at him playing with David Robinson, you see him playing with Rosho Nesterovich, and then after David Robinson retired, Rosho Nesterovich was brought in to be the center of the San Antonio Spurs with Tim Duncan being the power forward. But during crunch time, it was Rosho Nesterovich sitting on the bench and Tim Duncan playing the center position. And then when they decided to make a philosophical change in the way that they played basketball and went from the Twin Towers, throw it into into Tim Duncan and let him do everything to more of a free-flowing game with Manu Ginobili and Danny Green and then the acquisition of Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker and basically turning the team over from Tim Duncan to Tony Parker. Then Tim Duncan assumed the roles of full-time center position would make, in my regard, in my opinion, makes Tim Duncan the most versatile frontcourt player in NBA history. So if, for me, my definition in terms of Tim Duncan being the most versatile frontcourt player in NBA history, for me, the most offensive, versatile player in NBA history from a guard position, from a backcourt position, I think is Steph Curry. Because you take a look at Magic Johnson is the greatest point guard who's ever played, right? True. But Steph Curry might not be a better point guard than Magic. But in no way, shape, or form is Magic Johnson a better quote-unquote shooting guard than Steph Curry, in which traditionally Steph Curry played a lot of. Magic Johnson was not a shooter. Magic Johnson, for the first five, six, seven years of his NBA career, couldn't shoot. He couldn't create anywhere close to what Steph Curry can do. So when we're speaking about offensive, creative versatility in terms of putting the ball in the basket, Steph Curry, much better player than Magic Johnson. How much does that equate into Magic Johnson being a better distributor, being a better point guard, traditional point guard, than Steph Curry? So where would you put Steph Curry in terms of the greatest guards of all time when you're speaking about Magic Johnson and Steph Curry having that argument? Michael Jordan, yes, Michael Jordan was a better shooting guard than Steph Curry, but he wasn't a better point guard if they had to play the point guard position because Michael Jordan, his idea and philosophy was, why in the world am I going to pass the ball and set anybody anybody else up for shots when I can go ahead and score myself? There's There's nobody better at putting the ball in the basket than me. So why in the hell am I going to be playing a point guard, traditional point guard position to where I'm going to be passing the ball off the people who are going to try to score who can't do it as well as I can? I'm the one who should be doing all the scoring. So you're speaking about that mentality 
Steph Curry, of course, is a better would be a better point guard than Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan is clearly a better basketball player and a better shooting guard. When you're speaking about the totality of the game of basketball, which includes defense. So people don't, don't, be, don't be up here yelling and screaming at me talking about you're trying to say that uh, Steph Curry is a better guard or a better player than um, Michael Jordan knew. What I'm saying as far as his offensive versatility is concerned, I think that he's better in that regard. But the totality of being a basketball player, which entails more than just being versatile on the offensive end, it also entails the defensive end. Michael Jordan, head and shoulders, is a better basketball player than Steph Curry. All right? I'm not going to want to hear anybody, oh, I can't believe this motherfucker. He's talking about Steph Curry's better than Jordan. What the fuck the matter with this guy? Eh, I'm not saying that. So, look, man, have at it. Have at it in terms of where you want to put Steph Curry and all that type of stuff. All right, I'm out of here. I am good to go. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm going to be doing another video in a couple of days about my main man, Len Bias, who passed away about a week ago. I guess we're going to be celebrating his 96, 2006, 2016, ooh, 36 years. Man, I'm old. So uh, I want to uh, remember the passing of a guy who I would say that he was better than Jordan, but if he was a cokehead, then how long would that would have lasted? But um, now Lenny, my hero, my idol, my everything, I want to give uh, my shout-out, my special dedications toward him. I do this every year, so. Uh, that's going to be my next video. I want to thank everybody for listening to this video or this episode. I want to thank everybody for watching this episode. As I mentioned before, live, learn, love, respect for each and every one. Come through education and passing on those learn lessons of love and unity and history and understanding of all races, faces, and places and communities to where we can uh, unite and uh, love as one. So if we could do that, it would be fantastic. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. I'll see you next time. Get me out of here with some music. <laughs>